we have been studying this portion of scripture that is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters five uh, through the end of seven. And as, as many of you would know that have been with us for some time, you know, we've, we've been on quite a journey here with several months. And um, all of a sudden we hit that place where we have to put the pedal to the metal, so to speak. So you might note that last week we did three verses and today we're doing a lot of verses. We're actually gonna finish the sixth chapter and then over the next three weeks, we're gonna finish the entire sermon. So we're gonna speed things up a little bit here. But we're looking at this, this text that Cheryl read to us that is such a profound text. It is, it is a text that I have drawn from so many times in my life as a Christian. And so I'm excited to be able to share it with us this morning. But, but once again, um, you know, as we've gathered each week, we've been reminded uh, that these teachings are descriptions of what life looks like in the kingdom of God. So this, the sermon that Jesus gave, he's, he's basically describing for us life in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that was inaugurated by Jesus at his first coming and will be fully revealed and universally experienced at his second coming. So this is something that we've been trying to you know, emphasize to some degree that the kingdom that we wait for in its, in its totality is already here. And we're part of that kingdom. And that's something that I think if we live with that consciousness, that is going to help us in so many, many ways. But one of the most wonderful revelations in this teaching is that not only are the followers of Jesus the citizens of the kingdom, we are also the children of the king. We're also the children of the king. As Pastor Richard pointed out, the verses at the center of the sermon are the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, which begins our Father in heaven. Maybe you remember Richard pointed that out. This is, this is the, the central passage of this sermon reminding us of the fact that we are the children of God. So in the verses that we're going to look at today, we're gonna to go all the way through the remainder of the chapter. Jesus is telling us not to store up treasures here on earth, not to worry about how we will survive without them, for he tells us this is the preoccupation of the unbeliever. But you, as followers of Jesus, citizens of the kingdom, you have a father who knows what you need and has promised to take care 
of you. So rather than giving your time, talents, and energy to serving mammon, now the, the NIV translates the word here money, which is fine, um, but the, there, there is a word the older translations will use, and it's the word mammon, and mammon was an Aramaic term for wealth or riches. And so rather than giving our time, talents, and energy to serving mammon, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so let's walk through verses 19 through 24 to begin with. So the first thing we read here, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The desire for wealth, riches, and power is as old as time. You know, it's something that we don't talk about that much, but uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is, in Scripture, over and over and over again, God's people are being challenged in regard to idolatry, and oftentimes that idolatry centers around material things. You know, when we think of sin or we think of idolatry, we tend to, in, in our you know, sort of modern, western, affluent culture, we tend to sort of think of this, you know, sins committed in the sexual realm, or we think of um, you know, different kind of ethical things and so forth, which are all legitimate, and, and of course the Bible addresses all these things. But sometimes we, we sort of overlook the obvious that so many people in our culture, and unfortunately so many people in the church, are, are really idolaters, and the, and the idolatry centers around this idea of mammon. This idolatry centers around our lives being given over to the pursuit of these material things rather than the pursuit of the kingdom. So people so often pursue riches because they think that wealth equals happiness. This is, this is the great delusion. And in, in one place, Jesus refers to the deceitfulness of riches. He actually uses that term, the deceitfulness of riches. The riches are deceitful because they fool you into thinking that if you have them, you will be happy. You will be content. But we could give hundreds of examples through human experience of why that is obviously not the case. Matthew Perry, the actor that died recently, he was most famous for his role on the TV show Friends. He spent his whole adult 
life battling addiction. Now, now here's a guy who's famous. Here's a guy who is wealthy. But here's a person who is obviously unhappy. And so he becomes addicted to alcohol and to other substances. And one article I read said that he had spent $9 million on treatment. $9 million on treatment. And all of this to say, wealth does not equal happiness. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, don't, don't store up treasure on earth. For one, your treasure can be stolen or it can just be eaten away. Do not store up treasure on earth, but rather store up treasure in heaven. So we'll look at what that looks like in a moment. But these words remind us of words that were spoken by the Apostle Paul to his young assistant, Timothy. They are sobering words. They are a reminder of where the pursuit of riches lead. Listen to what Paul wrote. He said, those who want to be rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wow. This, this is reality. This is God's word. This is, this is the truth about those who give themselves over to the pursuit of riches. Now, is Jesus forbidding us from having a savings account? Is Jesus uh, prohibiting us from uh, maybe having a business that makes money and we're able to put money away? Is Jesus pro uh, prohibiting us from material possessions or success in the material realm? No, he's not doing that. And, and we know that from other scripture. What Jesus is doing is he is warning us to not let riches become our master, which they so easily can become. See, there's a danger here. There's a danger that the desire for wealth could Steal our hearts from devotion to God. And that's what, what Jesus is doing here is really he's giving us, in a sense, he's kind of giving us a priority list for life. So don't, don't store up treasure on earth. That, don't put your heart into that. Don't make that your goal or ambition. I remember year, years ago, just one little 15, 30 second conversation with a young guy standing right down here. 
And he came up to me and he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. I, you know, I, I want to be a Christian, but I'm, I'm going to be a millionaire as well. I never saw him again. But I thought to myself and I said to him, I, I don't think that's the... I, I don't think that's the, the priority. If you're going to follow Jesus, I think what you really need to do is ask Jesus what he wants you to do with your life. But he, he already had it planned out. He was going to make his millions. But as I'm saying, Jesus is not forbidding us from becoming rich. Listen again to Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, command those who are rich. So, Obviously, among Christians, there are rich people. Command those who are rich in this present world. And now listen to what he goes on to say. He doesn't say, command them to get rid of their riches. No, he says, command them not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in uncertain riches, but in the living God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then Paul says, command them to be good or to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now listen, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. Paul is echoing the words of Jesus. Do not store up treasure on earth. Paul is saying, this, this is how you fulfill what Jesus meant in that place where he said this. So that they um, will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. And then back in our text, Jesus says this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, that's, that's a reality. Where your treasure is, the thing that you value the most in life, that's what your heart is attached to. Now, Jesus then, he goes on and he speaks about the eye. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, the, the word healthy here could also be uh, translated single, if your eye is single. So this is talking about our eye being singly focused on the Lord and his kingdom. That's, that's the picture that Jesus is painting here. And he, he's talking about the eye is um, the lamp of the body. So really what he's talking about ultimately is the heart. And so what he's saying is if our hearts are undivided, between the kingdom and the world, then our lives are full of light. An undivided heart. The psalmist prayed, Lord, give me an undivided heart. 
See, this is so often the problem. Our hearts are all divided. If our hearts are secretly longing for wealth, power, and prestige in this world, then we are actually serving the world and really deep down full of darkness. That's a heavy thing that Jesus is saying. John the Apostle wrote in um, his first letter something that is, I, I think, a bit of a it's, a, it's a little bit of an exposition of what Jesus is talking about here. And this is what John said in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He said, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and now he gives the list, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The lust of the flesh, passion. The lust of the eyes, possession. The pride of life, position. These are the things that Jesus is talking about. And he says, if you're, if you're divided in your heart and, and if there is that, that part of you that's actually seeking after these things, the light that you think in you is actually darkness. The way to chase the darkness out is to refocus and put our attention fully upon the Lord. Then Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. So the, the point is, God is a master or the pursuit of mammon is the master. No one can serve two masters you cannot serve both God and mammon. Jesus just makes it clear. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can try to do it, but Jesus is already telling us you can't do it. You will end up, if you're not fully serving the Lord, you will end up ultimately fully serving the other. John Stott, the British pastor, scholar, and statesman, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he wrote this. Some people disagree with this saying of Jesus. They refuse to be confronted with such a stark and outright choice and see no necessity for it. They blandly assure us that it is perfectly possible to serve two masters simultaneously or they manage it very nicely themselves, or for they manage it very nicely themselves. Several possible arrangements and adjustments appeal to them. Either they serve God on Sundays and mammon on weekdays, or God with their lips and mammon with their hearts, or God in appearance and mammon in reality, or God with half their being and mammon with the other half. It is this popular compromise solution that Jesus declares to be impossible. Would-be compromisers misunderstand his teaching, for they miss the picture of slave and slave owner which lies behind his words. 
Men can work for two employers, but no slave can be the property of two owners. For single ownership and full-time service are the essence of slavery. So anybody who divides his allegiance between God and mammon has already given it to mammon since God can be served only with an entire and exclusive devotion. Those are pretty sobering words. But, but this is what Jesus is saying. And, and remember, this is instruction that Jesus is giving for the citizens of the kingdom. And now Jesus says in verse 25, he says, therefore. So this, this, is, this is what I'm telling you. And now this is how you are to respond. That's what the therefore is going to connect. You can't serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you. Now, one time, many ages ago, I remember how this passage just struck me so deeply and encouraged me so greatly. And it did so when I read the words and just suddenly it kind of flashed on me who it was that was saying this to me. And that's what we need to think about. Because Jesus is essentially going to go on to say, don't worry about this stuff. Well, you know, sometimes people come to you and say, hey, don't worry about it. And you're like, what do you know? <laughs> you know, why, why shouldn't I worry about it? What are you going to do to solve the problem? Well, the one who says don't worry about it is the one who made everything. The one who is in charge of everything. The one who controls the world. That's the one who's speaking to us. Therefore, I, Jesus, tell you who are deeply loved of the Father. So think of that. The, the eternal Son, the, the heir of all things. The one who holds all things together by the word of his power is reminding us that we are those who are deeply loved of the Father. And so he then says, do not worry about your life. Listen, don't worry about your life. This is God's word to you. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat and drink. And then basically he says, you know, look at this. And for us, remember, God feeds the birds. God feeds all the animals, actually. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat and drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. They don't plant seeds and then harvest and store it up in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father 
feeds them. You know, I was reading Psalm 104 the other morning. And in Psalm 104, it says this. It says, he makes grass grow for the cattle. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. All creatures look to him to give them their food at the proper time. Do you know, when we think about meditating on scripture, and and this is one of the ways that we really grow in our understanding of God is by taking time to think, you know, do we ever stop and take the time to even just think about the world? You know, think about the world. How, How does the world, how does the sun rise every day and set every evening. Now I know technically that doesn't do that. Okay, right, but we get it. That's the language we use. But how does that just happen over and over and over and over and over and over again? And how do all of these things, when you start to consider the world as it is, and this is what Psalm 104, maybe something to meditate on this week, this is what Psalm 104 is reminding us of. That all the stuff that we look around at and just oftentimes just don't think about it, or if we do think about it, we just think, oh, I guess it just works this way. What Psalm 104 is reminding us us of is it works this way because God is the one who is keeping it working. God is the one who's keeping it working. And the God who is keeping it working is our Father. That's amazing. And that's what Jesus says. He says, are you not much more, of much more value than these things? I mean, your heavenly father, he takes care of all of this. Your father takes care of this. Would it make any sense that he wouldn't likewise take care of you? Of course, the answer is no. And then he says, can anyone of you by worrying add a single hour to your life. And then verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And Jesus is using language of uh, laboring and spinning as the way clothes were made at that time. But look at the flowers. And then he says, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So Jesus is calling us to look around and learn a lesson from nature. And to understand that the God who takes care of the animals, the God who clothes the fields with the beautiful flowers and the lush vegetation and and all of these things, this is the God that's our father. This is the God who is committed himself to taking care of you. What, what do dads do? Fathers, they provide. That's almost like a, 
you know, a definition of a father, their, their provider. And our heavenly father is our provider. So do not worry. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And you know, it's not limited to that. We can take this out further. It's like, oh, but I, gosh, I, 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 don't, I don't even have a shelter. Well, Jesus is going to take care of, you know, what you eat and drink and your clothes. But the shelter, that's your problem. You're going to have to sort that out yourself. <laughs> Everything's included in this. He's going to take care of us. You know, David said this in the Psalms. And I've read it for so many years. He said this. I've been young and now I'm old. So I, I read it when I was young. And now I'm old. And I want to say what David said. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or God's children begging for bread. I've, basically, David said, I've, I've, all of my life I've watched this. And I've, what I've always seen is the faithfulness of God. I've always seen the faithfulness of God. God has taken care of his people. So, he says, for the pagans, now I don't, I don't like this NIV translation here with the word pagan. The word is simply, un, it's, it's Gentile is actually what the word is. Um, pagan sort of has a, a connotation that I don't think is right here. He's, he's basically just talking about unbelievers. He's talking about people who don't have faith in Jesus, are not members of the kingdom, and are not children of God. So they run after all these things. This is the world. This is what the world does. The world lives in the pursuit of these things and in the, the anxiety over these things. And it's true that sometimes as Christians we do the same, right? But when we do it, we do it out of just obviously forgetting who we are and who we're related to. He says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. God knows what we need. Now, there's a distinction we could make between what we need and what we want. God has promised to supply our needs. Think of Paul's words to the Philippians, my God shall supply all your need through his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God has promised to meet our needs. And you know, I have found in life that oftentimes God also gives us things we want. He's generous. He's kind. He's benevolent. But he has committed himself to our needs. He knows what we need. And so this is how we are to respond. 
verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Wow. You know, how much better would our lives be if we just took this to heart? We spend so much time worrying about tomorrow. Jesus says, you don't have to do that. That's really what he's saying here. He's saying, you don't have to do that. Because you have a heavenly father who knows what you need. And so rather than storing up treasure on earth and, and rather than pursuing mammon and getting sucked into serving the wrong master, this is what you are to focus on. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And you know, as much as we do that, in a sense, that is the level or it is the evidence of our belief that God really is who he said he is. And we really are who he says we are. I show my faith by believing this. That I don't have to kill myself over these things, but I can put these things in God's hand and I can go about the business of the kingdom of God. I can, I can focus on the kingdom. You see, verse 33 is really the key to life. Matthew 6, 33, write it down. If you don't know it by memory, memorize it because it's the key to life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. God will take care of it. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, heaven's going to open and all tons of money are just going to fall down on your head. You go, wow, this is amazing. But what you're going to find is that since God is the Lord of all things, that he is going to work things out. He's going to bring about circumstances. He's going to do, he's going to do um, very, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Just um, creative. He's just going to do things in ways that you would never think. And, and he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. That's what, he, that's what he committed himself to doing. So again, we are to put the kingdom of God as the top of our priorities. That the kingdom of God is our number one passion. That the kingdom of God is the reason for which we are living. That's what we're living for. 
I think we're being reminded once again at the current moment about the tenuousness of everything here in the world. How just so quickly, and we just keep getting these reminders over and over again, right? About how quickly everything can just completely change. And how we can go from one day of forecasting out into the future and we see this is coming and this is happening and we're going to do this, we're going to go here and there, we're going to buy this, we're going to sell this. James talks about that. He says, but rather you should say, if God wills, we're going to do that because the reality is we don't know what tomorrow holds. And again, like I'm saying, I think the, the current global situation is reminding us of that. We don't know, but God knows. And God's called us to focus on the one thing that is certain, the one thing that is sure, the one thing that is forever, and that's the kingdom. He's called us to focus on the kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We've been talking about his righteousness all the way through this sermon. So we live out the righteousness. We live it out personally. We live it out privately. We live it out publicly. And as we do that, we know that the Lord, our Father, will take care of the needs of today and tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom. And again, let me, in case anybody is misunderstanding it, I'm not, this is not a call to go quit your job. It's not a call to empty out your bank account, go give your money away. It's not a call to any of those things, unless, of course, <laughs> the Lord might say to you to do that, because, of course, he could do that if he wanted to. And in some cases, maybe he will. But in, in a general sense, that's not the message. The message is the heart. Get the heart in alignment. If your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. And when your whole body is full of light, you see the path ahead of you. You see where God is taking you. You see what God is doing. And you're walking into that. You know, for some reason, there's a lot of believers today who, I know they're, they're sleeping. They're still in their pajamas from COVID. It's time to get out of your pajamas and get going. Get back on the path. Get your eyes back on the kingdom. God is still at work in the world. And guess what? There's plenty of work to do. Lord, help us.